Welcome to Succession Stories. I'm your host, Lori Barkman, CEO of Small.Big. As a strategic growth and M&A advisor, I like to call myself a business transition Sherpa. My mission is guiding entrepreneurs on ways to build value in your business and then to benefit by letting it go. On this show, we spotlight the theme of transitions, not only to reward you for your hard work, but also to ensure that you look back on your succession without regret. For more succession stories, be sure to subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube. Here's to your success. I often find myself talking with entrepreneurs who own services businesses. They love the idea of creating a recurring revenue model, but have all kinds of reasons why they don't create one. That's why I invited Kevin Urrutia onto the show for a conversation. Kevin is a serial entrepreneur who launched and sold his cleaning services company to a strategic acquirer. Listen in as we talk about why it's important to have a scalable training program for your business, what it means to productize your service, and how a recurring revenue model drove more predictable cash flow and enabled Kevin's business to scale even faster. Kevin Urrutia, thank you so much for being on Succession Stories with me today. I'm excited to hear about you because you are a serial entrepreneur and I think you're not even 32. <laughs> Is that right? I'm 31, yeah. <laughs> 31, you're not even 32 yet. And I know we're going to talk about different businesses that you have launched and some of that you have sold and some that you are actively growing. And I think a big part of this show and what I love about it is not only talking with entrepreneurs who are next generation in their family business, but people who are the founders themselves and talking about what it's like to build a business knowing that you're going to sell it. And so that you have this end in mind as you're building this amazing asset and entity. So we'll dive into all of that today. So again, welcome. Oh, thanks. thanks for having me, Laura. Super excited to be here. So the first question for you is your background. Just tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so th- thanks for having me. My name is Kevin. So I grew up here in Long Island. So I'm in New York now. But uh, basically, we grew up in Queens. We were there for a few years. And then we moved out to Long Island. And that's essentially that's when we first got our first house. But really growing up for me, it was me, myself, it was myself, my brother, and I have two sisters. Uh, basically, growing up for us was really just meant at the time, just working. Uh, when I say working, I mean, my brother and I had to go with my dad to work construction work. So really on, we were like 12 or 13, we were working with him on all these sort of projects and side jobs that he did after his full-time uh, work. So for me, it's like, I never really thought about it, but this sort of like, especially just work ethic was sort of something that me and my brother always had since we were young. We were always, we didn't know at the time, but I guess my dad was doing it for side income because we didn't really know, I guess, at the time that we had no money. So I mean, like, you don't know when you're a child, right? Like, you just have no money. Yeah, you don't know. And then we're just like, oh, this is the thing we do, right? But, but I think that sort of mentality of, like, working was really kind of what me and my brother sort of got instilled into us. Like, hey, you have to either you're going to school or you're going to be working. And at least at this time, my brother really loved doing, like, the construction work. And he, I, actually, he's like, oh, I want to be an architect. I really like this sort of work. Whereas for me, it was opposite. I was just like, whoa, like, I do not want to do this type of work. I like working. I just don't want to do like construction work. And then that's kind of when um, we first got our first computer. And then that's when I was like, okay, I fell in love with this thing. You figured out what you really wanted to do. Yeah. So that's kind of where for me, I was like, oh, I want to build something. And 
that's when I started learning more programming and internet marketing, not internet marketing, but just like programming and building stuff. Because then for me, it was like, oh, this thing is interesting. Like AOL was like interesting. Instant Messenger was interesting. Um, and that's kind of when I got first got started into learning all this tech things. And uh, that's at least for me that, at that time with my brother Edwin, we were always still at the same time tinkering. We were like building websites, building things. And this was like when I was like 16 or 17. I was big into gaming. And back then, uh, people were like forums. I don't know if people really use forums anymore, but like there was a thing underneath your forum where you can put like a signature. Like people had like custom signatures. They had like all like emojis back then, like kind of like like the little lines, like the squigglies, right? Uh, kind of what you did in AIM. And I started seeing people doing like Photoshop stuff and like putting nice little Photoshops, like Disney stuff. And then that's when I kind of learned a little bit about web design. Uh, and then it's sort of like, for me, it was like this curiosity of like, oh, like, this is interesting. How do I do it? And I guess at that time, I was 16, 17, like, you don't really think about, like, any limitations, right? You kind of just like, oh, I want to learn Photoshop. And then you kind of go to the torrent and you download Photoshop, right? And Which is, like, I sometimes, like, I don't know, like, just, like, thinking about things now, like, I'll see something and I'll be like, oh, I wish I could learn it. And then I'm like, but then I tell myself, oh, because I'm 30, I can't learn it. But I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get out of that, like, mindset because when you're a child or you're younger, you don't have this, like, weird limitation that you put on yourself uh when you're like 16 or 17 i was kind of like yeah i'm gonna go do it so at least at that time when i was like that age growing up i was just like learning things and really that meshed into learning tech and startups and that then sort of made me go into like learning how to build a company how to build a startup and i kind of reading like tech crunch and hacker news about building people like oh you got to go to silicon valley and then that was like the thing that really sort of really drove me to be like, okay, that's what I want to do. That's my goal. Um, and then that's sort of like kind of everything I did with that goal of going to San Francisco and going to college in Binghamton for computer science, because that was like the progression. Oh, I want to do like tech stuff. You got to do a computer science degree. And what I realized when I was in Binghamton was that computer science wasn't really what I wanted to do. Computer science was more like the, the science of computers, tech and programming. What I really wanted to do was more like web development, iPhone development. And that's more like a trade skill or a skill that you learn. And at that time, a lot of these colleges like Binghamton, great school, but they weren't teaching modern web design. They weren't teaching modern iPhone development. iPhones just came out. How can a school teach that, right? So really for me, my learning came from YouTube, uh, going to websites. Like I remember going to like nettouch.com, psdtouch.com. That was a big Photoshop website that was teaching from Australia. And just that the ability to learn online was kind of what helped me uh, at least for me, see the eye, open my eyes to be like, oh, I can kind of learn anything online because someone's written about it. And I always tell people like someone's written about it or someone's wrote a book about it. And someone's literally like 10 lives in like 200 pages. Like that's so crazy valuable if you think about it. Um, and that's sort of kind of like the way I thought about things. Then um, eventually I graduated college and I moved out to San Francisco to work at mint.com as a software engineer. But in between here, just sort of people can understand, I was like building stuff. So I had like ideas and projects I was building. I was also competing in hackathons. I'm not sure if people know hackathons are, but basically it's like 72 hours of you and your friends just coding on a weekend. So it's funny because like for me, this stuff was like just building and that people were like, oh, I guess that's a startup. But for me, it was more just like practicing on making things that I wanted to learn. And for me, for example, like Twitter was really popular. So I was like, oh, let me make my own Twitter clone because I want to know how was Twitter made. So that sort of concept of how things are made was really kind of what has driven me to like learn things because I see something I'm like oh I like I kind of want to know like even for me now I do a lot of e-commerce 
Um, for example, I'll go to, I'll see someone's like e-commerce store. They're selling like some sort of widget. I'll be like, oh, I wonder how much their money they're making. And I'll go to like Alibaba and like search for like wholesale suppliers. I'm like, okay, they're, they're charging 30 bucks. Alibaba says a, a unit's like 20 cents. Shipping's probably five bucks. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good profit margin. <laughs> so then like, just like, just stuff like that, like really gets me excited. And I do that for like any kind of business. I'll be like, oh, a car wash. I'm like, oh, I wonder how much it's like these car washers make, right? It's just like, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that that whole part of your background is about you having no fear. You're not holding yourself back. So I think for what I wanted just to circle back on was your point that when you were 15, 16, 17, you had no limitations on what you wanted to do. Some people do put limitations on themselves or some parents put limitations on their kids. So I think that's one thing from the get-go that I wanted to say was, was pretty cool. So let's flash forward. So now you have this tech background. We understand you're doing different things. You've moved out to San Francisco. And just step us through, what was the first business that you launched and how did that come about? Yeah, so basically the first business that I launched that I thought was going to be something interesting to do, it was in college and that was called One Tiny Bit. So this is myself and Wilson. And we launched an iPhone development and Ruby on Rails development firm. And this was for us, we were just like, hey, we've been building stuff for other people. People have been asking us, hey, can you build me my website? And we literally built it out. We, this is the first time, like, I guess it's like my first real business. Other stuff is kind of like projects. This is where we actually got like a LLC. We actually got a bank account, right? And that was in college. And uh, yeah, it was one tiny bit. And we grew it that whole year in college. And we all... Sh- it's so crazy because like, I forget about it, but we actually hired our employee to work with us during college. And I was like, his name is Justin. He actually works at Facebook now. He's a really smart guy. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that was it. And then that was for us. We learned pretty much everything that we need to learn about like kind of sort of like some sort of like service-based business. Like I still remember me and Wilson being like, okay, we got to make our contract super complicated. That way people know we're a legit business. <laughs> like, it's like all this stuff. Cause it's not, how are they going to believe this college students? Right. So we were like Googling all this crazy stuff. Uh, we had to learn about payments. We had to learn about sales. Like I was in college. I had no clue how to sell to people. I was just like, Hey, yeah. Like how to estimate projects. I was like, that was like, Oh my God. Like you read everything. Like you can read everything you online about like estimating projects, charging. And then, you realize like when you're actually in it, it's so different. I'm like, oh my God, I should charge more. I'm like now working all nights and I can't even finish my homework because this thing is due next week. Um, so that was one tiny bit, super fun. I learned a lot. We eventually dissolved it after the year because it's kind of like anything. We just didn't really see it going anywhere. We were getting clients and leads, but it wasn't like what we wanted it to be. So me and Wilson just kind of shut it down. And then that's when I went to get my full-time job at San Francisco. Um, and then Wilson was still in college. So he's, he, he was a, junior so he was he had two years left so um and then eventually in college uh sorry after college me and wilson tried to build another company called uh madeline rosa which was an online flower delivery company for local people and this company we took even more uh steps forward we actually went to interview customers we went to local florists in san francisco saying hey what if we do this sort of service would you buy from us and really at that time, the way we were thinking about it is because companies like Uber and Lyft are starting up, like, oh, we want to be like an on-demand flower delivery company. So a lot of my ideas just come from seeing something out there. I'm like, oh, what can I apply that concept to another niche? Because it's like, you kind of can, I tell people, because then you can say like, hey, look, we're the Uber for blah, blah, blah. And it's like an instant sort of connection. Yeah. Analogies. People really, that resonates with folks because yeah. then they can relate to, yeah. to what you're saying. What year was this roughly? This was probably, what year are we in right now? 2021. 
I was maybe 23 at that time. So about seven years ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that was like kind of when Uber first sort of came out and it was like this weird thing. And, and I sort of, I tell people all the time when Uber and Lyft first came out, I was literally paying like two, $3 for rides. And that was like the best because everything was so subsidized by like VC funding. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. No more. So you got through kind of this early phase of market research and talking to customers. Did you end up pursuing that business or did you, did you go a different direction? So we kind of eventually just shut it down a different direction. Uh, the reason why was because we were building this thing and then we were able to get uh, the, the flower stores, right? They're like, yeah, if you can bring us leads, great, right? A lot of, for them, it made sense, right? Hey, this new business wants to bring me leads. Why not? But the issue that we, that we ran into and it sort of goes to the main issue that me and Wilson and me myself, we always saw was how do we get customers? Like that was one thing that we never figured out because we were always just building stuff. And then we're kind of like, okay, well, like the stores want it, but now how do we find people that want it? And we're just like, at this time, we didn't know anything about like marketing. We didn't know anything about Facebook ads, Google ads, SEO. We were really, I think at that time for me, I was really big into this idea where it's all about the idea. If you have a great idea, people will come and somehow find you. And I don't know why I thought that because I, I guess it was what you just believed in at the time. Um, so we just shut it down because we're just like, hey, like, I don't know how to get customers. And it's like, oh, okay, like, let's go think of another idea. Maybe another cooler idea will be the one that gets us customers. Um, so that was kind of like a hurdle that we kept coming into, not just Madeline Rosa, but like other stuff. We just didn't know why we couldn't like get customers. And then it took us a long time actually to, to figure out uh, what it was. And, you know, basically we, we, st- I got, a, I got another job in San Francisco and it was still building things. And then eventually when I was at Darley, I got put into work with the marketing department there. And then that's why I was like, Oh, like this marketing thing is interesting. What are they doing? And then again, going back to like me just thinking about stuff, I was like, Oh, let me actually think about marketing. I've always heard it's like bad. And then I was like, Oh, okay. This is what SEO is. Cause I was like researching a competitors to Darley at that time. And I was like, okay, how are they growing? And that figuring out how they're growing made me see, okay, let me, I should probably learn SEO. Okay. I should probably learn PPC. And like, you kind of start like building some knowledge base. And I was like, oh, that's what I was missing. Like, because at the time they're always a great company, but even then a great company, we have no customers. So for me, it was like, oh, maybe it's not the product, right? Maybe it's the marketing. And then that's when I got to really start into uh, learning about marketing and learning about stuff like that. Awesome. Awesome. And so what happened after that? Did you start another business? When did you go into business with your brother? So after that, we started uh, Made Sailors, which is uh, after four years in San Francisco, I moved back home. And that's because all this time when I was at Darley, I was seeing that the home cleaning companies, the home, it wasn't companies at the time, it was more like individuals were making the most money on that platform. It was like a platform for service providers. So I was like, oh, I want to like use the skills I'm learning about marketing and make my own sort of company. Again, for me, it was now like Uber for cleaning. That's literally what I thought. I was like, same bye bye to the Uber thing. I was like, the issue I'm seeing here was that a cleaner, if you hire her, she's pretty much booked up now and no one else can hire her. So she's pretty much like uh, limited by how much money she can earn. So I was like, hey, what if I bring a company that has all these cleaners and then we can swap cleaners in and out and still grow the revenue? And that's where May Sellers came from. And that was in uh, 2015, around 2015, that we started that company. And this was all based in New York. And here for the New York company, that's when we sort of started, I started reading more about business books. I read like the E-Myth uh, about how to build a company, how to build operations, 
how to structure your team. And I was like, okay, like I'm, I really want to do marketing. And that's what I really focused my effort on marketing. And then I hired other people to help me with hiring of the cleaners. I helped other people to hiring with like the customer service uh, representatives. So at this time I was thinking about hiring people and um, at the time I had no money. So we were using a lot of like online, uh, there's this platform called onlinejobs.ph where you can find remote workers, really great place to find people to answer your emails, to answer your, your phone calls. Of course, this, it sounds easy, but like you got to like train them. You realize, okay, I got to do some sort of training now. And then you have to learn how to train people. And it's like all this stuff was uh, what was working really well. But for me, uh, I was like, oh, wow, if I train somebody and they follow the script, I don't have to think about it anymore. And they can just like tell me what's going on. And that's really great. And now for you as a business owner, you now just need like a weekly report saying, okay, how many missed messages did we get? Why was it missed? What were some of the bigger issues that customers are saying why they're not booking? And then it's much easier for, for you to process information and make changes versus like obviously being in there answering because then you can't think about solutions. How big did the company get? So for mate sellers, so mate sellers, we grew pretty big. So uh, within the first year, a company tried to acquire us for $2 million because we're growing. But then we sort of denied the acquisition because they wanted to give us like stock. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to do stock. I want to do cash, right? So I was like, yeah. But mate sellers right now, we're, we're around 150, 200 employees. Uh, and, but we're also based in New York City. We're also in Boston. We're in Chicago. So we acquired a company in Chicago. And then we also are in New Jersey. But then we also acquired two companies, other companies in New York City as well. Uh, but I, actually, I was telling you, Lauren, like I sold this company. Um, but that's how big we got. Um, and really for me, the industry for cleaning was something that I learned. It was just like, there's so much demand that you just literally can't hire enough cleaners to fill this need, especially somewhere in like New York city where people are moving in and out all the time. There's some seasons where we're just like, sorry, you have to close. Um, so it's a great business because there's always cleaning is one of those things where it's like, you're always going to need it. So you, like, even for me, like I moved into my, my apartment, I was just like, I literally do nothing. I don't know how I'm so, how this place is dirty. It's like, I literally stay in my room all the time. Like, why is there, why is this place dirty? Like, like, so. So let's spend some time on this. So you created a cleaning company. You saw a need. You wanted to have a more seamless platform, something that could scale. And people started to, to show interest. As you mentioned in your first year, you, you had an offer for acquisition. But let's talk about the kind of the path to growing it and getting it to the point where you were ready to sell it. Let's spend some time on that. So the first question would be, what do you think looking back now made this company attractive to the buyer? And let's talk about that process of how you either found the buyer or they found you and what was the fit? Yeah, I think what was really attractive to this, a few things, um, the company for, for mate sellers, what was really good about it was number one was people, people were looking at us saying like, Hey, how are you guys growing so fast compared to other companies in the space? As in our rankings on Google were really high. So we had really good SEO. So if you search for like mate service, NYC, home clean, NYC, we were like number one or two. And that's something that people were asking like, Oh, what were you guys doing? So that was like a, a key thing for us too. Another thing for us too, with any sort of like cleaning company or sort of service-based business, is your reviews, right? So having great reviews on Google Plus, having great reviews, that was like the thing back then, or Google Maps now, right? Or Yelp as well. People, especially if you're in New York City, Yelp is big. So a lot of people are asking like, how are you guys getting so many reviews and why are your reviews so good? So those are like, for service companies, those are the things you look at because no one wants to acquire a company that's like two stars, right? Because that's like, okay, this, that means, because a review really tells you everything about how the company's run. If you get a 
4.5, five star, that means something's happening well. So then people are like, okay, these guys are running it well. A two star, you automatically think, okay, these guys have no clue how to run the company, or at least they're not addressing any of the issues if it's consistently two stars. So for us, that's like a key indicator, even for us, when we're looking to acquire a company, we want something four star plus, because that means something's working right. Um, anything below that, it's kind of like, nah, like, I, yeah, yeah the founder owner doesn't care. So it's like, uh, that's the way we think about it. Uh, another thing too that worked really well for us is we saw this happening before us. This was something that I was telling you before, I think Laurie was that we had all our prices online. That made it super simple for people to uh, know how much we were charging for everything. And it's so crazy to see now, like anytime, anytime we raise a price, everybody's prices like it's like everybody's looking at your prices and seeing so that was a really big thing back then because with cleaning companies uh, i think and the thing is like i think other services do this right now too or something we call it flat rate pricing where no matter how big your apartment is but we're going to charge you this much money 120 for example i'm not sure the exact price right now but now it made it so much simpler for operations now you don't need another oper operations person to go out into the home and measure your home you just book on the call and that makes it simple. That means also you have a better profit margin because now you're not sort of trying to win jobs that were winless. Now you only win jobs that you can win because the customer knows the price. So there's no more of this like, oh, whoa, like I'm surprised. And you're just like arguing with them. It's like, hey, yeah, like I don't think people realize there's so much human capital that gets wasted just by like talking about somebody like, hey, like you want to price or not? I'm like, no, okay, well, just waste 10 minutes. And like people don't realize that, but that's, that's someone else's, uh, someone else got called and booked and I know other businesses in this space too um, that run like let's say a microblading company for like eyebrows and I was just talking to her recently and she's just like two customers canceled on me and I'm like they don't realize that's like six hours I booked up that's like now I can't and like a lot of customers don't think about it but like yeah it's like the opportunity cost is for us as entrepreneurs and small businesses is really high if you just all of a sudden don't show up because you somehow forgot I'm like yeah, absolutely. That's lost revenue. Yeah. So, so what, was there a recurring revenue model in the business? Yeah. So recurring revenue model is probably the biggest thing. If you're some sort of cleaning company, it's the biggest thing that we use as leverage to get customers back. We have 10% uh, discounts for uh, monthly, 15 for weekly. And that's sort of where you want, you want to be using uh, the recurring model to come back and clean again. So the first time you usually charge a little bit more because it's a little dirtier. And then it's kind of like a maintenance fee. Uh, but the recurring is the model where it's at for cleaning companies. And that's why it's such an attractive business because like if you do a good cleaning the first time, the customers want it over and over again. But again, going back to what kind of what I mentioned before, it's also really hard sometimes because some of your best cleaners, you want those for new customers so they can see that the service is good. But then the new customers are like, oh, I want that same cleaner. And it's like, we're going to give you something similar because, but you see, it's like, it's really a cleaning company. I tell people all the time, it's just managing humans. It's like a human capital business. It's literally like moving people around the city and saying, okay, like this person's going to be 20 minutes away from this job. It finishes at three. Okay. Now I have half, she has half an hour on the subway to make it to the four o'clock job. Okay. Like, can she eat lunch? And it's like, you're thinking about this. It's logistics. Like, it really, <laughs> yeah, it really is logistics. And that's how we think about it. And managing all these cleaners is a lot of work because it's just like, thinking about routes, especially like let's say right now in New York City, snowstorms. This for us is like so tough because uh, trains are even more delayed. So that means for us, we had to warn customers, hey, we're still gonna go to your home, but just so you know, you're gonna be delayed. Um, so that's something that we you think about it. So basically having, again, that logistics part is also very key to um, 
having the uh, selling the business is having a calendar full of uh, when people work. And at least for us, we use employees. So we know when they're working or not working. So it makes logistics harder. I know some other cleaning companies use like contractors. It's a great way to get started. But then this contract work, you don't know when they're working. So that makes your job a little bit harder. But for us, we say, hey, this is your schedule. We know you're working. We know how many jobs you can allocate. And then we know what we need to hire and stuff like that. Sure. So let's go back to the recurring revenue model. Were you measuring it? You have a software background. Were you measuring it like a SaaS software company where you were measuring CAC, CAC, you know, cost to acquire a customer, lifetime value, LTV, metrics like that? Yeah. So we, so for us, we use um, the software called Launch27 and they basically provide us all these analytics about how many new customers you're getting a month, how many recurring customers you're getting a month. Really, really helpful. And also we were measuring, kind of like we were saying before, uh, CAC is very interesting to measure because we were mainly driven by SEO. So SEO was a really, we were never really doing paid ads for made sellers. We do some retargeting, but most of our customers came through SEO. So SEO was kind of like this expense and we said, okay, this month we're going to send $10,000 on SEO and we're going to make like $100,000 revenue. So stuff like that is how we measured that. So it's much harder to much harder for us to calculate because there's no like direct attribution to it. But we knew that almost, we knew that almost every booking that we almost had for the company was through SEO because we had no other traffic source besides like Yelp, I guess, but that we weren't spending any money on ads there. Um, but for the, for the measuring of stuff, for example, um, when we introduce new items and, and things to the business, like deep cleaning, we can see, okay, this looks like to be our next top item. Let's move it up our booking form because customers are picking it. And then you can see, okay, the next best item is like fridge cleaning and then oven cleaning. Okay. It looks like no one's, looks like no one's doing baseboards. Let's remove that to make the form simpler. Um, and we were, the software launch 27 did that all for us. And it gave us really great stats. And it has like kind of like traditional SaaS software where you can see like trends up and down. You can see like what months you're doing well, what months you're doing not well. And it would just connect directly to Stripe as well. So the software um, was really nice because one thing that, uh, one thing that was happening was because customers don't like to get charged for the cleaning until after at least the software, you would basically pre-authorize the card to make sure that enough money. That way you're not running into this like delinquent charges that you can never collect. So we will say like, hey, look, we're gonna pre-authorize your card, you're not gonna get charged, but it's gonna allow us to know that you have the $300 that you said that you had. That way we don't do the cleaning and then you, we can't collect the money. I think that was a big thing too for this, for this cleaning industry was like, um, a lot of people didn't want you to collect money unless the cleaning was done because it's very weird, I don't know, it's like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's, 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 the, industry is, the industry has its own quirks. I just like donors. I'm like, if this is under industry, this would make no sense. Like, well, it's about cash flow, right? And so you were, you're getting more certainty of the cash flow with the, yeah. with the credit card pre-auth process, which is, which makes sense. And uh, let's talk about process. Cause you talked about the software platform and the, the, all the human logistics, travel logistics to get to get from one site to the next. Um, was this all documented? Uh, did you have one person that was focused on these processes or were you able to delegate that across a, a different team of people? I guess the real bottom line, Kevin, was was it you or did you have help? And Because it seems to me if those processes broke down, the whole system would break down. Yeah, so basically in the beginning, I started them all. So I wrote down like how we're gonna answer, like we use this software talk, T-A-W-P, T-A-W-K.T-O that we still use it to this day. And the reason why, uh, so anyways, I love the software. So many reasons why, but basically we had documents for everything, how to answer Yelp messages, how to answer talk messages. We would also have videos of how to do things. Okay. Hey, if this is how you answer a Zendesk request, 
this is what, this is the script that you should be using when you're booking a call. I think having these processes and documentation is so helpful. And of course, I tell people all the time, you can go off the script. The script's here to help you and sort of guide you because after a month or two, you kind of know what to say, but at least sometimes you can use it as a reference guide. And with any documentation, the thing that sucks is like updating it. So when prices change, you're like, okay, this pricing change, right? So, but it's so important to have at least some sort of documents there because that makes it easier for everybody in the team. And I tell people all the time, it makes it easier. I think sometimes we're like, hey, when, when somebody new comes on board, I'll just retrain them. I'm just like, that's not like scalable. Like, do you want to retrain every single new person on how to use Zendesk every like three months, four months? What if the person doesn't work out? Just re- I tell people all the time, this is what I do. If I'm training somebody, I'll just record it. And then, okay, now this is our new documentation. And you can see me thinking about how I'm thinking about it. And other than that, I'll use Loom to record quick messages. So, and I'll, I'll do this. Hey, this is a step-by-step instruction of how I think about it. And this is how you should be doing it. Yeah, those are all awesome examples because people who have uh, a scalable process, right? Usually something is very teachable, yeah. repeatable, and valuable. And that's an exercise that I like to do with clients is talking with them about, okay, what of what you do today, you know, it does the, does your... Does your client, does your customer value that yeah. of whatever you're providing? If the answer is no, then you have to say, why are we doing it? Yeah. Um, also, is it teachable? Meaning it's not the business owner who's doing it. It's yeah. someone else on the team and what's going to enable them to do that. And then how repeatable is it? And how frequent is that task being performed for uh, the audience? Is it once a year? Or is it, in your case, as you were seeing with the frequency of, uh, of, of main services, I mean, it's all the time. Yeah. So the more you could document all those steps probably made it super easy to then say, hey, this business can thrive without me. Yep. And so curious about the, the end game here, what happened? You Initially, you told us you had an offer for $2 million. You, you declined yeah. politely. I'm sure you politely declined. And then later on, what happened? What was the final offer? And how did, it, how did you end up getting uh, acquired? Yeah, so basically, like, what we, we basically continued to build the business since that first acquisition. Um, but yeah, going back to several processes, even for us, too, uh, we use Slack a lot. So I tell people all the time, Slack's really helpful to improve your processes, especially, um, at least for us, we developed some sort of like, I'm a programming background, so I developed a custom program for Slack where if someone booked in an area code that we know we didn't do, we, it would automatically send the staff a message on Slack saying, hey, this thing is out of area, call them to cancel the cleaning. So there's all this like little stuff that I think any, any business, every business has these unique things and you need to figure out like, a lot of people are like, oh, that's unique. I can't program that. Or like, oh, I, this is what, this is, they'll give themselves an excuse. This is why I can't document it, right? It's like, you know how like people get into their own heads. This is why I can't do it. I'm like, no, like, you know what the thing is going to be and it's repeatable. So I did a simple program and now all the staff just says, hey, call them up and cancel. And it's like, I'm oh, sorry, you can't do it. So anyways, those are other things that you should be thinking about too, because at least for me, I was saw, I was like asking our staff, like, hey, what are you guys doing uh, when a customer isn't like, in, um, in your service area that we do. They're like, oh, we go to an Excel sheet and then we look up the number. And I'm like, oh, that's just like a simple function. Like, why don't we do a zap for that, right? And then like, it's like, okay, cool, that makes sense, right? So for me, that's what I am thinking about. It's just process and, and making it simple for people. But anyways, going back to the sale. So basically for us, kind of what was happening was that we were building the company and after a few years, I was kind of just not interested in doing it anymore. It was still growing. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And that's, for me, it was fine because the company was still running well, but eventually my brother was kind of running it for me. And my brother was running it for a long time. 
And actually what ended up happening was that my brother got really busy with his own company. So he started his own company as well. And he just raised, he raised some money just to do it. And he was kind of like, I just can't do it. And I was like, I know Kevin, you can't do it. Cause at this time now I'm running Boy Media. Boy Media is about 25 people. So I'm like, I can't run the cleaning company. Um, so basically what ended up happening, we were kind of like putting it on a market. There's all these like websites that you can like use. And we knew people in this, in the space that were running other cleaning companies. So we're asking them like, Hey, we want to do it. We want to sell the company. And they're like, Oh, sure. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, oh my God. Like you guys want to sell it. Right. So eventually we found a buyer, um, local here in this New York city area as well. that had experience running the cleaning company before. So they, we reached out to them. It took almost like a year process to figure everything out. And the reason why it took a long time for us too, was because we, we had an idea of selling the business, but I think everybody has that, everybody has that vision, but at least for us in the beginning, we didn't plan it as well as we should have. Like every, like I said all the time, like all the finances were like so intermingled and intertwined with personal stuff, business stuff. My other businesses were charging these cards. It's just like, okay, this is going to fund our start. This is going to fund my other company with this business's cash. So it was like a complete mess. I told people like, trust me, like it took almost a year of like stripping down all these numbers. Uh, eventually we sold it. Uh, we sold all the companies that we own for $10 million. Um, so that was really exciting for us. And again, yes, we sold it, but again, it's, I tell people all the time, we're not completely off. We're still helping uh, consult for the year about like, you know, making sure that, uh, the company succeeds because I don't like, I think anybody that sells it, you don't want to see it fail. I'm like, Hey, like I want to see it succeed. It's a great company. I, I like the people and everybody's still, the company's still employed. I think that was a big thing for me. was like saying, Hey, I still want to make sure other, everybody here is still employed. So sending them all new agreements or new contracts or all new like employment agreements, stuff like that. Um, but that was like the process. It took a long time. So you went out and said, we're going to approach potential buyers. The financial is interesting because I assume your your company was profitable at this point. Is that a good assumption? We were so, for a long time, yeah. So that's why, like, I took a lot of time. Like, we that's why for me, I was just like building other stuff because I was like, oh, I just have money to use. So like, yeah, but the quality of the books is important because a, a buyer wants to know what they're getting. And so, did it take a year to do the sale because you were getting organized, or was it the due diligence questions they were asking you that that forced you to? to really get into the details? It was both. So, so obviously last year was really bad because we saw our sales go down because of Corona. And that was like, oh my God, like this is like the worst time. So a lot of it, some of it was like the book. Some of it was like, okay guys, let's wait. Like, uh, like, like what we were, I, we were like, me and my brother, like we think that this is going to increase again back to like pre-COVID levels. So then we saw that eventually happening. We're like, okay, they're like, okay, this looks good. Let's go buy. So it was like, not, it was a mix of everything, right? Uh, bookings went down because of COVID because no, like nobody wanted to get people into their home. We had to figure out the numbers. We had to figure out a good price. We had to figure out, well, they also had to figure out how, to, we also had to figure out how we're going to transfer this. We're going to transfer the LLC or we're going to do an asset transfer or and we said, hey, we don't want to transfer LLC because we have some other stuff tied into this LLC that we need to keep. So we want to do a full asset transfer and then they have to go figure out how to open up other, other uh, payment accounts, uh, Stripe accounts, Chase accounts. So they have to figure out what LLCs. So remember, we're, we're in a few different states, so they have to get LLCs in each state. Um, and then we and then we also advise them like, hey, this is what we did. We don't think you should do it this way. This is how ideally you want to structure it. So then we kind of help them figure out like this is this is what we would do differently. And we talk to our accountant like so. I think like you have a, we have a few companies. This is the main one. Other ones you should make them child LLCs 
That way you can sort of not worry if like something happens to the business in case someone sues you. This is how you would structure it and stuff like that. This is the taxes and stuff like that. So did you have a, a letter of intent or some sort of agreement yes. in place? Okay. And so the multiple that you ultimately sold for, what was that? So that was like for us, it was around 2.5 to 3x multiple. Yeah. A very traditional for a service-based business. Yeah. Yeah. So you were you were happy with your brother because you both wanted to move on to the next thing. Was it about the number per se, or just about what was yeah, it about for yeah. you to to really decide that this yeah. was the right thing? Yeah, and I think that's such a good question because a lot of times people ask like, oh, what's the number? I'm like, it was I think it was like a peace of mind. Like, <laughs> like there's no, there's no number for that. Like, <laughs> it was now that we saw me and my brother just like, wow, it's so nice not having to think about it. And even like. You probably know Lauren. Like they're like, oh, why, why don't you just run in the background? I'm like, because it's not just running in the background; it's there. It's like literally, oh my god, like, I gotta think about it, right? So, I think that's what. It, yeah, that was the, ultimately that was it. Like peace of mind. Me and me and Edward just like, I don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. Like we gotta do something, right? So, did you have a backup person? Because you and your brother were both running it, but then you both had other companies. Did you have another second in command that took it over from you both? No, basically we. Even like when I told you, like we were still like the bookings were down, we were still running it. I mean, like we, we were still like, hey, if we sell it, great. If we don't, we can still run it. And it's like, it's a great business. Like that's the thing I was like telling my, like, we're just like, it was hard. It's like, it's a great business. It's making us money. We just didn't want to run anymore. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like one of those things where it's like, eventually we're just gonna be like, okay, we got to suck it up and do it. Right. Cause it's yeah. Like, when did the deal close to 2020? Yeah. So December 31st. Yeah. So yeah, so that must have been a challenge because you're, <laughs> yeah. what happened? 50% or more decrease in revenue, I would guess. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty much 50, almost 50% decrease in revenue. But now we're sort of seeing a great uptick right now. And we said like, hey, look, like we know booking you up and then stuff is going up and to the right, which is great. And uh, we're not right now, we're helping them. Like we have like consulting with them about like how to market, you know, how, we, how we're thinking about things and what we do differently. And we're sort of saying, hey, this, this is how we would expand. Kind of like, you know, sometimes they want to know like what your thoughts are. Stuff like that. Yeah. Now I know you had another business because that's the one you're working yeah. in now, which is Void Media. And so is that what happened next with you and your brother? He went and, and worked full bore on his new venture and then you became more focused on Void Media? Yeah. So basically now, uh, basically during like, um, so we, me and Edwin, Edwin's my brother, uh, he, we still run our own e-commerce company called Chester. So Chester is another company that we run too. That's more like another side project. And for that business, Chester, for us, that one's doing about $2 million in revenue. And that's like a side project for us because we like to do e-commerce, but then Boy Media is another company that I'm running. And that's more like, um, the reason why Chester works really great is because it's only like me, me, Edwin, and about two other people, very easy to manage. Um, you don't need that much staff um, to sort of manage the stuff. And again, it's like e-commerce, you know? So, uh, but Boy Media now, that's like more like 30 people requires more of like, actual meetings, you know, like weekly staff meetings, uh, planning, OKRs, QBRs, uh, budgeting. It's like a different type of business. It's just like more human. Uh, so like, for, at least for me, when I'm thinking about businesses, I always like, I always think like, which one do I want to build? But like, what I like at Boy Media is great. Uh, but I'm like, would I do it again? I don't know. It's like, so far as I'm having fun. And but you just like don't know, right? So. Yeah. So I think you're showing a pattern with yeah. service businesses. I mean, yeah. it is people, but you yeah. seem to be gravitating to that where tech is the underlying yeah. way that you can scale, but there's people that help make that tech come to life. So you're a mountain climber in the sense of you're always looking for that next thing. 
and as we shared your age earlier in the show, you know, you've still got a long career runway ahead of you. I really appreciate you sharing your story about Maid Sailor because there are probably a lot of people listening who are like, yeah, I'm not really in a super sexy, high tech services business. But I think what's interesting about that is that you were able to productize the service. Your pricing was there. You probably had bundle packaging. You offered discount for recurring revenue model. And that's a big part of, again, what I work with clients on is how can they productize a service so that they can have a subscription model? There are lots and lots of service businesses out there that kind of like you said, let's say, oh, that's not for me. I can't do that. But what's cool about you and your brother is you said, yeah, we can, we can figure this out. You didn't have a background in doing it, but you, you had kind of the no fear, (laughs) the no fear indicator to figure it out. So I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. I think if you look back, just uh, another question for you, if you look back and there's one thing that you would do differently in terms of the sale of the business, what would that be? I would definitely, I think we are like definitely separate these LLCs that we have where we had one main one for like everything that we did for me and Edwin, like every project that we built during this time of making made sellers. I tell people that was probably the biggest thing that we would do because it was such a hurdle to like separate stuff. And even in like the contract, they're like, this asset is not going to be acquired by you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that. Yeah. So having a, a good team of professional advisors is probably important, yeah. right? The accounting firm, the law firm. Did you have a law firm that had experience in yeah. M&A? Yeah, so we had a really good we had really good lawyers that helped us with previous stuff. And I took a lot of time. Like people get a, like accountants and lawyers get a bad rep, but when you need them, they're all, they're going to be helping you. Like we have great lawyers, we have a good accountants, and they help us with everything. So I yeah, it's, it's very they're worth it. And I know they charge a lot, but for us, like it was well worth it. Yeah, they understand. Like having a great consultant that understands what's going on is worth its money. And uh, you don't know you need it until you need it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Mistakes can sometimes be very costly. So last couple of questions for you, Kevin, what is your favorite personal mantra about entrepreneurship or leadership? Yeah, so it's a good question. Uh, I, so this is like a quote or uh, something I heard from Steve Jobs like over 10 years ago. And I, I think he said it like a Stanford, uh, some Stanford thing, but he said that like, uh, this is, I'm probably butchering, but he said like everything around you was created by people who know smarter than you. So why don't you go out there and create? And basically for me, it's like, I, was, I heard that. I was like, oh yeah, like this makes sense. Like everything that we live in was created by somebody. And why can't that somebody be me? Like what makes this person so unique and special? Like I'm unique and special. I want to create things. So really for me, I always think about that. It's like everything you see out there, like it's a person, like they're not like this crazy genius. Like they somehow figured it out. So you can figure it out too. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin, if people want to connect with you online, what's the best way to find you? Uh, yeah, the best way is I love using Twitter. So twitter.com forward slash Danis, D-A-N-E-S-T. Or you right. can email me to Kevin at One Media. So that's, that's another option as well. Thank you so much for coming on to Succession Stories and sharing your success in building Made Sailor and now building Boy Media. So thanks again for being here. Thanks, Laura. My objective is for you to have a lucrative and successful succession. If you want to understand the value of your company today, the potential net proceeds of a transaction, and your financial needs after you leave the business, that's a great place to start. The sooner you understand these numbers, the more time you'll have to close the gap if there is one. Take the next step by requesting an initial meeting 
to begin planning for your business transition and strategic exit today. Request a call with me by visiting smalldotbig.com. That's smalldotbig.com. I look forward to speaking with you.